what we've got to do is wake people up and say, this is on you, and you can do it. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UTT. Hey folks, welcome back to the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. This is your host, Mark Devine. Thanks so much for joining me today. I super appreciate it. Don't take it lightly. I know you got a lot vying for your attention. The fact that you're here is pretty unbelievable. You know, I've known Kelly. Uh, I remember Kelly and I were at a, um, a CrossFit conference together. That's where I first met him when we bounced around in the CrossFit world, mostly passing like two shifts in the night. I really admired Kelly Starrett's work. Um, really setting the bar and creating a whole new language around movement and mobility and durability and, and, you know, basically the importance of paying attention to the right ways to move your body. He is best-selling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard, which I have And that thing. Holy cow. What a project that must've been. I can't wait to ask Kelly about that, but, um, he's a national champion in canoe, the U S canoe team. Wicked cool. And um, I think he runs probably the, the best and most popular um, CrossFit course in, the, you know, in CrossFit, which is the movement and mobility course. And he's a doctor of physical therapy. And he's got two wonderful daughters, 14 and 19. Is that right, Kelly? 14 and 10, but you might as oh, well shoot. be. <laughs> Going on 19. <laughs> Oh man, great to great to talk to you, Kelly. Oh, likewise. And let me just say that uh, I I like that uh, you were surprised you're number one. You've been number one for a long time, my friend. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, you know that I when I got the supple leopard, I, I was actually kind of stunned because this thing is a monster. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just just this massive book some of the, like the nicest photography that I've ever seen in a book of this style and the amount of work that you put into this thing, I can't even imagine, you know, cause I'm an author. I have four books. But I, wow. Tell us about that. Like what was the, what was involved in putting that beast together? It's a beautiful well, book. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Second of all, we, uh, we just crested six years on that thing and went over a half million copies. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. And I'll tell you that it takes a village um, <laughs> to, to create something like that. You I know, bet. my wife and I, between juggling, you know, all the businesses and kids and, you know, look, the the only way to to describe it is something like a calling that you, right. we recognize that this is something we need to do, that, that there's a hole in the universe. And that's really the best way to approach something. You know, you say, you're talking about, you know, your online training and, and the work that you've done with Silfit and, and your immersion as your life's work. And, you know, the only reason to do something like that is because, you know, you, it's not, it's not about getting a paycheck. It can't be about it has to be done. work for you. It has to be done and there's no other way done, around right? it. So, and I, and that's the only way to really sort of to rationalize the madness in your head. And, right. um, <laughs> you know, because it's certainly, <laughs> it is madness. it's not, it's not, it is, it's madness. And, you know, and the, the next edition will bounce out next year. We have so much more, you know, the, one of the things that is extraordinary about, um, you and your training for me is that people just don't have a reference for, I mean, like right now, breathing is very hot. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's, it is such a hot topic. What Brian McKenzie's doing, Wim Hof, Laird Hamilton. But mm-hmm. uh, the first time I, you know, and I've been talking about breathing in terms of down regulation, in terms of soft tissue changes for a long time. But first time I heard about box breathing was you, you know, right. how do I, how do I use breathing to control my state and my awareness? And, you know, you have been stitching together movement practice, mindfulness training, sort of making yourself uh, a more durable and just more stable person as you project into the world. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. And, and I, I, <laughs> you can't appreciate sort of the depth of your teachings until I'm another 10 years into my own experiment. You know, I'm like, oh man, the guy got a lot right. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I agree with that. It's funny you should say that because I, I was noticing that about the breathing. You know, in fact, Jeff and I were kind of laughing about it. It's like, wow, there's all these, like all of a sudden breathing's a big thing. It's like, we've been teaching this since like 2005 and doing it since 1985 is right. when I started breath training. 1985 yeah. when I started my Zen, Zen practice. And, and I tell that story that the reason I was number one in my SEAL class was because of Zen and breath. Those two were such game changers, you know. Anyway, uh, isn't, isn't that the that. truth? You know, you know, it's um, it's interesting. I think you know when we we continue to refine, you know, at the heart of the message, I think of of your work is is this notion of being self reliant and mm-hmm. being notion Absolutely. of being self motivated and self reliant. And you know, one of the things that I think that Juliet and I feel strongly about as we sort of put, try to push the boundaries of healthcare and wellness care is, you know, we're about people being able to take ownership of their health and take ownership of their bodies. And mm-hmm. that's a dangerous idea because, uh, you know, you have, when, when a person is independent and self-reliant and, and can make themselves feel better and treat themselves without outside intervention, you really have, uh, you know, a person who can go out and project and do interesting things in the world and not sort of, you know, lose their low side of control. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's, when we, when we start to look back at, you know, where we are now, because we have the benefit of, of seeing the our you know, we've been teaching this course for 11 years, you know, mm. like you, we're, wow. you know, every, every rep is more refinement. It's never, it's, mm-hmm. you never arrive. You just, you get better yeah. at teaching. You're more Constant efficient. state get, of becoming. Yeah. That's right. And what we see is you can't, you know, the application of the mission, the application of the process for over a decade now, it's extraordinary to see how people have integrated it into their thinking. But also mm-hmm. that we're really coming to see this as an issue of social justice. That you know That's you cool. can't yeah. you can't see your f- physician. You can't like you know. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you you have tremendous impact on the world. And if I'm giving us all, and I'll lump you in together, and you're a little bit of an anomaly, but the mind training is part of it. But if I yeah. lump us in together and say, how are we doing? Are, are we on fewer? depressants, antidepressants? Are we, are we self-medicating less? Are we, how are we doing with back pain? How are we doing with suicide? I mean, just choose. How, how are we metrics. doing by the way? We are, <laughs> we are getting like our asses kicked. That's I what know, I mean. We're getting our asses kicked, right? And, uh, wow. you know, I think that really is at the heart of this is that Damn. we now are really competent beginners and now it's <laughs> time to go. Like we, we've, we are going to lose a generation of people if we don't, we don't get it right. So are you saying you're, you're moving from training people who are trying to go good to great to becoming more of a public health? I don't even know what's the word I'm looking for. Like, uh, I don't know. Advocate? Yeah, that's right. That's a good word, Jeff. Thanks. Well, <laughs> here's, here's the question. Is what you're doing only for elite? 
No, 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 definitely not. Yeah. In fact, that's why the, the, the podcast is really, you know, it's, it's, it's my bully pulpit so we can have a broader impact. You know, I'm not training people with this podcast, although once in a while I veer into that territory to get the word out, you know? Yeah. Well, I think what's where, where we are now is realizing that, look, I mean, we like to go fast. We like to set world records. We like to have Olympic medals. We like to, you know, we mm-hmm. love that. And that's our laboratory. That's really how we think about sort of stress testing the human, stress testing our concepts. You know, here's a good example. In physical therapy, there's a notion, it's very vogue right now. It's called the biopsychosocial model, which is very old, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, and, and, and how old, if you even think in the context of your teaching and training and leadership, you know, you have to look at the whole individual, mm-hmm. that, the way that the person interacts with their family, the way they feel supported, the way they feel connected into their environment, the way they, mm-hmm. the loose connections they have with their, the person who pours them coffee and where they buy their groceries, it all matters. And right. we can't strip that out. We can't strip your sleep out. We can't strip your movement practice out. We can't strip your breathing practice out and expect yeah, you to go win. So right. these things are central to our ideas of performance as they always have been. And what I'll tell you now is that we, we are further able to take the lessons of this high-performance world and project them back into the work that really matters. I mean, that's, the, mm-hmm. that's what matters is, is moms and dads and kids. And if we, if we don't we don't solve our society problems, then for us, for me, sport is just circus. And so let's just call it what it is. It's circus. It's entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, go run a triathlon, wear a hole in your knee. Don't run ever again. It was worth it, right? I hope that experience, that peak <laughs> experience was so good for you. Right, or, or we're learning what we think is better ways to be more interesting humans and frankly, humans that are going to be on the planet for a hundred years because of modern medicine, like you're going right. to be around because we're going to keep your corpse alive for a hundred years, whether you like it or not. So <laughs> who you are at 90, Might as well be high 90, quality years. Yeah, right? I'm just saying this is a choice. Yeah. And, the, and the problem is that there's so much noise and we're, I think this may be unpopular, but right now I think we're seeing the fundamental de-evolution of the human being happening mm. um, from diabetes to stress to suicide mm. to... Well, we're, yeah, we're uh, the long tail of the industrial age, right? And we're at the vanguard. Oh, yeah. We're pioneers in kind of a new way that it means to be human, which, you know, it's going to take probably another two generations for the rest of the world to catch up. I think maybe one, I don't know, but, um, a lot yeah. of things have to break down, you know, and, 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 and get really, really painful for the change to happen, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, it is unfortunate. I mean, uh, someone recently asked me a, a question. They're like, you know, what's a belief that you have? And I, my belief was that like, oh, you know, we're going to save the world. And now I'm like, ooh, we're going to miss a generation of people. We're, we're really not. And, you know, these are complex structural changes that nice. I'm coming to believe have to be changed and addressed much earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my youngest daughter, who's 10, um, her two sports are MMA and water polo. Mm-hmm. And great sports. Um, wow, what a great you know, combination. Huh? In terms of suffering and um, you know, discipline, body control, learning contact, mm-hmm. you know, these are mm-hmm. things that we have to teach children, breathing, mm-hmm. mindfulness. I mean, mm-hmm. my daughter has a uh, there's a bounty when she can get to hold her breath for two minutes, there's a huge chunk. When she can hold her breath for three minutes, there's another huge chunk of money coming her way. You know, we talk about these things obsessively. Because if we don't prepare our kids, then it's all it's all going to have to be remedial learning. You know, we're gonna you're gonna run into it eventually. How how do how do kids turn off at night when they're stressed? 
It's mm-hmm. the same, same thing you're talking to about our executives. So, you know, fundamentally, we now have enough data and we've been able to collect it. And now, more importantly, disseminate it in a real and meaningful way that there are good breadcrumb trails about sure. having a life that feels better. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love about your work is that you really start with movement. You're like, okay, if you want to live a good life, you got to move your body, get off your ass, get out of the chair, stand up at, you know, get a standing desk at work. You got to constantly be moving your body. And I fully agree with that. And something that I subscribe to and, you know, really work hard on in my own life. Yeah. So, you know, where did you kind of, I mean, where'd you learn this? Like, tell us about Kelly and some of the things that let's say before you became a doctor of physical therapy and you were just an athlete, why did you start thinking this way? And, and what were some of your sh- you know, things that shaped you? Well, I'll tell you, what's interesting now is that we have, um, we have this interesting genetic piece. We can take a slice of your genetics and really understand there's some good science. Genetics sometimes promises some things like which, which sure. style of wine should you drink? Nah, it's not really a good genetic question. But uh, there's just an article in the New York I, Times. I was going to say, if, if you have the test for that, let me know. <laughs> uh, New York Times just had an article about genetic drive to move. And there is a key component to us about need to move, drive to move. And my genetic drive to move is through the roof. I'm always like, I'm excited. I want to, you want to train? I'm like, I'm down. What's interesting so it's different, is different, different types of people. Right? Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, there's a great, in David Epstein's wonderful book, the sports gene, he, he talks about a study where they took these mice who had high genetic drives to move and they bred them in a couple of generations. They had mice that didn't run a mile a day. They had mice that run seven miles a day on the treadmill. And, um, they took the treadmill away and those, those mice, you know, tore, fought, tore each other apart, destroyed the environment, right? They gave them Ritalin. They ran a mile a day. And, um, <laughs> and I think what's interesting is this is always me. I've always been in motion. I'm not uh, like Michael Phelps frenetic, but I am always curious. I'm always playing. And, you know, I, I was, you know, my daughter now is in the eighth grade. She plays water polo. She's active. But when I was in the eighth grade, I did four varsity sports at a high school, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and rode my bike on the weekends and raced. I mean, I just, I, you couldn't hold me down. So I think, on one hand, I've come to understand that, my, my own experience. On the other hand, we've really come to stitch together. E.O. Wilson wrote a wonderful book that I'm, I'm sure everyone has read called Consilience, which is about the <laughs> – right? That was a joke, right? Yeah. I'm writing it down right now to make sure that I read it. So the next time you call me on something like that, <laughs> So this is probably the most important book I've ever read in really? terms of trying okay. to reconcile – that's awesome. It's the consilience is about the unification of knowledge. Huh. And it's about trying to integrate and make sense of all of these data sets, right? That's induction. Mm-hmm. That's the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. Well, if you come back to all of our movement traditions, you know, when you know, one of the things that I adore about you is that you know you are a very hard man, comma, with a yoga practice. Right. <laughs> and, and that's not, not unhard, but traditionally people didn't understand what this, what this yoga practice was. And right. if you come back in and see that human beings, I mean, the book I just finished, which is ironic that we're talking is I just finished Stephen Pressfield's book about the Afghan war where oh, yeah. Alexander the, the Great comes into Afghanistan, the Afghan campaign. 
Yeah, right, just 300 years before Christ, there was complex you know, industri- military industrial complex moving through Eurasia, right? Just, okay, that's, right. that's sort of a mind <laughs> melt, right? It's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's mind-boggling. Just the logistics. All I can hear is like, oh my gosh, I have to feed everyone, right? right. And so for a long time, people have been thinking critically about how human beings work, what the best way to practice this is, h- how do you take care of the body? Mm-hmm. And those traditions, unfortunately, weren't written down, but they were passed along to us in our military traditions, right. our military science traditions. I mean, you know, who is it? It's Maurice de Saxe, who was the, uh, one of the marshals for Napoleon. And his famous word is like, you know, soldiering is in the legs. And the Prussian military science about marching when it's hot versus marching when it's cold, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things writ large for the rest of us comes out of yoga comes out of dance, comes out of martial arts, comes out of our running and lifting traditions. And well, and Eastern martial arts and Eastern <sighs> yoga, which by the way, have common roots, you know, they were the whole integrated package. You know, you, you move your body, you train your mind, you, you, you work the breath to link the two, you develop your emotional self and you integrate all that on a path toward wholeness, right? Or integration. That's profound. And, and a lot of that got kind of split apart and fragmented and lost in the West. But you're right. Some of, some of it was kept in the military traditions, but it, it still wasn't holistic the way we're talking about, you know, today. Well, I think what we see is that something's not working. It is right. better. You know, that, you know, first things first. And, you know, if you jump back into yoga and the first thing that that people are talking about is the sun salutation, that's about what we call the morning spin up. Like, Hey, have your coffee. We usually walk our daughter to our youngest daughter to middle school, right? You know, we walk her there. So it's like a mile away or she's elementary school. She's in the fifth grade, finishing fifth grade. And uh, so we've walked a couple miles before eight o'clock, got our heart rates up. And then I open up my hips or do my breathing practice or do my breathing practice on the Mm -hmm. way back. So by the time it's actually time to go and do something, I already have a significant amount of movement and movement preparation under my belt. And that means that I am much more ready to meet the demands of the day, whether that's quickly warming up so that I can train as a modern person trying to squeeze it in as a dad and Mm -hmm. CEO, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That means that if, hey, there's a spontaneous thing that I'm, I'm more ready and trying to create a better ready state and... And what we have done, and as you point out, we fail to appreciate sort of the considerable thinking and the considerable practices that have been handed down to us. And now I feel like we're at a place where, and we can actually stitch some of these things back together as a modern human experience in a real sustainable way. That isn't a shortcut. It's not a pill. It's not a hack. It's not a seven-minute abs. Like It's got to be sustainable. And what we're, as you know, better than anyone else, this is a journey of decades and right. you know, it, it, you're going to have to apply the knife and you're going to have to keep pressure on the blade for a long, long time before you start to see change. <laughs> I love that. You know, you know what, you know, it's come to me recently is, and I want to say you and I are, are on the same journey in different veins. You know, we're like, we're, we're doing similar work, but with different kind of modalities. The first kind of generation of people who let's, I'm going to use my stuff the first generation of people who really brought Eastern warrior modalities to the West did it with a hundred percent of the cultural context and nuance and language 
of the place where these these things came because that's where they were preserved. And so they were only appealing to a very small group of people and they really got a reputation as kind of wooey, you know, you know, yoga is Hinduism and and martial arts is Buddhism or Zen is Buddhism, you know, and, and so it wasn't accessible to the masses. That's right. So I've been working, I learned that when the first time I used the word yoga or, or you know, you know, some sort of Sanskrit term, you know, like Surya Namaskara A with my SEAL candidates. And they all just looked at me cross-eyed and, and, you know, started to fall asleep. And what they were really thinking is this guy, you know, what have we paid our money for? So I just said all, you know, seize and desist right there. And I stripped all that crap out of it. I call it, I stripped the foo out of the Kung Fu and started to look at this stuff as a universal principle that need to be recontextualized into a modern Western context and taught in a way that's going to be appropriate for, you know, this audience, this busy kind of population. And, and that's why it's been successful. And I've got a long way to go. Like you said, it's an iteration. Does that ring true to you as well? Yeah. I think that's at the heart of, of the, the mystery of demedicalizing, of giving right. people loci of control, of agency over their bodies. Of, right. Cause that, that of, medicine is a whole language that people are scared by. Well, and, you know, it was really useful that, you know, I, when I was a young grad student, I discovered CrossFit early in, you know, 2003, 2004, Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to reconcile Olympic lifting, my own experience as an athlete, as a broken athlete, as, Mm -hmm. um, you know, powerlifting, running, having a huge set of lungs, being skilled, developing athleticism with what I was learning in physio school, which was correlates. You know, it's like, hey, the bat, we're going to use this battle language. Good. That's called sports and conditioning and, and, and real life. And then we're going to speak Esperanto over here on the side. And I was like, what, what you, who speaks this language? Like, why am I learning this correlate language for the real deal? And that was when I, you know, started to realize to your point exactly that, you know, the heart of the matter was, you know, also being able to drop this in. So I, a little bit. I mean, I have the stark advantage of sitting back, coming to the table, a generation behind the first wave. Like I would call mm-hmm. myself sort of third wave, like strength and conditioning coach, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that I get to see the mistakes and the see. And I, you know, I always point out, you know, like my friend Greg Cook, who came up with the FMS, his progress, his, his thinking is much more sophisticated. This is an online tool you can learn yourself, the FMS. This is see mm-hmm. where you are. Mm-hmm. Right, you, anyone can do it, but that was came out in 1996, mm-hmm. and I, I like to remind people: Can you show me your cell phone from 1996, please? What car are you still driving from 1996? <laughs> like, we have better tech, and it's being expressed as better tech. Right, and the one of the think the reasons that we do a, we have good success because we're we get to be invited into people's, you know, into their realms. We get to sh- everyone shows us their dirty laundry. Is that we're system agnostic? Because to your point. Right the foundational elements, the principles between how your body works really aren't that sophisticated. Look, mm. the human brain, and I say it's not that complicated because the shoulder's the shoulder, right? It just hasn't changed mm-hmm. in 10,000 years and people have been figuring mm-hmm. out how the shoulder worked a long time ago. The brain is the most complex structure in the known universe, period, mm-hmm. end of stop. Attached to a body that is robust and resilient and adaptable and will tolerate little you know cigarettes and little chocolate donuts and poor sleep and alcoholism and it will still thrive and when you take that rock off the back of your body and let it breathe again it bounces back again and again and again right 
And it's really remarkable. So what we've really tried to do is say, hey, look, what's important to you? By the way, the spine is still the spine, the shoulder is still the shoulder. These are the things that you should be able to do. And let's have a conversation about that, about what we think is native human capacity, not elite trained, you know, like it's really, I think everyone should be able to run a 5k flat out. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, I think what Joe Decina has done with the Spartan race, if everyone in America could do a Spartan sprint race, man, we would see so much BS get cleared up. But Mm -hmm. let's just start with, Hey, why can't you get up and down off the ground without your hands? You know, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, why can't you even sit on the ground? You know, in, in, in any position, cross-legged, you know, Zazen, like you, you can't even operate on the ground, you know, so what we're, we're, what we have created and in my field, we're the worst at it is what I call a, a generation of apologists. We have, a, we have really apologetics, you know, about saying, Hey, mm-hmm. everyone is a unique snowflake. You're just solving a unique mm-hmm. problem. You know, your brain, you're okay. It's okay. To, and I want to say, if you want to work at 50% capacity and take a 30% breath and have a pelvic floor doesn't work and a body you don't trust and ankles that get stiff, I mean, knock yourself out. It is totally your right to do that. But when we uncover the truth, the Chinese say you're as old as your spine. The Russians say you're mm-hmm. as old as your feet. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it is all there for us. We just need to figure out how to give it so people can work it into their lives because it's not a part of their consciousness yet. And that, mm-hmm. that means it's a failure of their training. And so we never, we never fault the athlete until the athlete knows better, then it's on them. So everyone right. comes out right. of a system. And then if you've, no one's ever talked to you about mindfulness or meditation, then you're just bungling through the world. If you, if you don't know how to breathe in a shape, that's, that's not your fault until, until someone said, hey, you should be able to breathe in the shape. Then it's on you. So what we've got to do is wake people up and say, this is on you, and you can do it. Yeah, take responsibility. You, you have this term, um, creating a movement-rich environment. So that's kind of using, uh, using your environment to remind you or to force you to move, or what, is your, what does that mean, movement-rich, creating well, a movement-rich environment? you know, I th- at the heart of what you and I are talking about here is some mindfulness, right? That there's right. some maintenance for the human being, some, some first principles. So we talked about moving more. So everyone has heard, hey, you should probably walk 10,000 steps a day. That's what we call our minimum therapeutic dose. So that's if the RDA <laughs> set a, a level so you didn't get rickets or you didn't have scurvy, that's 10,000 right. steps. Most of us are living below that poverty line. And right. what's interesting is I go into schools now and I have this – it's a spot checker. And if you're listening to this and have kids, chances are your daughter has her phone in her back pocket the entire day. Okay? Yeah. Good or bad, I'm not, I'm not going to say judgment on that. But what I'll tell you is that you have a spot check about how much she has moved during the day. So pull out her phone, and her phone is tracking her number of steps. And it's right on her hips, which is the most effective place to put that motion tracker. And guess what? You will see that most of our children are moving that two to 3,000 steps a day. So one of the things that we're trying to say is, okay, I don't want to add another thing. I want to strip it back so it's so simple for you that the environment mm-hmm. is guiding you into decisionless, mindlessness, not mindlessness, but in no mind conditions. I don't have to think. I just go to my desk and I have two choices. I can fidget and wobble and perch, or I can sit on the ground and work. So I'm sitting, as we sit here, I'm sitting cross-legged on my table, working on my ground <laughs> training. And you don't like chairs, obviously. So well, chairs are bad. Not that. We shouldn't fear chairs. I mean, my, my mid-century modern house has a great, some really great mid-century modern chairs in them. 
But (laughs) that's not the problem. The sitting in a chair isn't the problem. It's the lack of everything else that is the problem. So it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. about sitting is bad, four legs bad, you know, know, three legs Mm -hmm. good. It should be about, you know, how much can I move during the day? And, you know, one of our tier one military groups, one of the ways that they untangle when we're seeing sleep problems, because I tell you what, I just heard an ad on MSNBC on the way home about, you know, a new sugar bear that was making vitamins for your hair and now they're making sleep vitamins because sleeping is a gigantic problem in this country. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the caffeine and the alcohol stimulant cycling that we're on. It's because we haven't accumulated enough fatigue because we have lights in our house for what we're binge watching. We just have terrible sleep habits. And mm-hmm. I don't think we realize sort of the, the price we're going to pay for that yet. But, you know, one of the things that we, we try to point out in, in this tier one military group, in the complexity and the noise of, and challenge of the military, when guys can't sleep, the first thing to do is give them a device to track the number of steps they take in the day. And what we hmm. find is that when people begin to accumulate enough non-exercise activity, movement, they actually accumulate a fatigue debt. And that's different mm-hmm. than your training in the gym and smashing yourself for one hour. This is different. I'm talking yeah. about moving enough during the day. So how does that work? I mean, give me a, just a sense for metabolically why 10,000 steps is going to put you to sleep, but banging out a wad for an hour isn't going to have this. Well, it may not be enough total cumulative fatigue, right? The idea okay. is, is, you know, especially if we look at, ha- you know, it's not just heart rate. It's not all those things. It's not CNS load. It's just this sort of background movement. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we can simplify out is that when we improve people's, and this is our, our data point, right? Like, is, is this training enough? Okay, it's not. The research is showing an hour. You, if you sit longer than six hours a day, six, eight hours, and you fall into that sedentary category. And by definition, mm-hmm. we say sitting. What I'm really saying is falling below this cutoff metabolically of one and a half metabolic equivalents. Remember the old Stairmaster had the met gauge on it like how yep. many mets are you uh-huh. putting out right so the idea is if you fall below one and a half metabolic equivalents which is sitting in a chair then you fall into a sedent that's a sedentary behavior and that has a whole host of very interesting things that happens to your body the sedentary biology is is an emerging field unfortunately what, what does standing give you is that is that a immediately right above it even perching right so even if you just leaned against the bar stool right? Or put your foot up or lean against the counter, you're automatically there. You're even closer if you get near the edge of your chair and you're not using the back of the chair. So there's a lot of ways to start to to bump up your activity levels. And Mm -hmm. the research has borne that if you're going to sit more than six hours a day, and that's total sitting. So you need to look at your commute. You need to look at your board meetings. You need to look at the time Mm -hmm. at the table eating lunch, right? Mm -hmm. That it all aggregates. And what we're seeing is that most of us are actually falling into a sedentary lifestyle, even though we're trying to exercise. Now, what they say is, and the research has just come out to bear this, that don't worry, if you exercise moderate intensity, and you and I know what that means, it's actually hard work, moderate intensity exercise mm-hmm. is not redlined, it's, it's huffing, you're working. That's not mm-hmm. walking, that's a moderate light jog for 60 to 75 minutes a day. So point mm-hmm. to the people who are getting that much movement, active movement during the day at modern intensities for 60 to 75 minutes, and your answer is none. You know, or very few, right? I mean, training that much, if I get 75 minutes of good hard aerobic workout a day in a week, I'm like, that's a win, right? Plus, we yeah, get a couple right. long rides and one long paddle. And, 
But mm-hmm. the idea here is, hey, we can be putting in this input and the research is showing that and our clinical experience has been borne out that when we get people moving more during the day, they accumulate enough fatigue and they fall asleep and sleep better. Now, yeah. we said we're interested in that consilience idea. I should be getting, have mm-hmm. multiple bottom lines and then an integrative practice. So I, mm-hmm. I rarely engage in a single activity that only has a single you know, point. So it turns yeah. out that if you want to decongest your body, like if you've flown on an airplane, which I know you have a lot, you get cankles. Mm-hmm. You ankles swell up if you're not moving. Well, what's happening there is you're not <laughs> cankles. I've never heard cankles. That. Your That's your cool. feet are yeah. at the bottom of a gravity well, and only right. way to pump out that congestion is through muscle contraction. So mm-hmm. one of the ways that we have healthier, more normal tissues is to load them and decongest them. And the heart of the that that conversation is a principle called mechanotransduction, which is short for if you want specific aspects of your body to express themselves genetically at a cellular level, they have to have mechanical input. You want your Achilles to be an Achilles, you better load your Achilles, eccentrically, isometrically, concentrically. If you want your plantar fascia to work like plantar fascia, and the the analogy that one of our friends uses is you put a killer whale in captivity and its fin folds over because you've changed the Hmm. behavior of the killer whale, and now that killer whale is spending more time at the surface right? In captivity. And second, you're not loading the fin. The fin isn't hunting. The fin isn't swimming. The fin isn't playing. The fin isn't fighting. And that fin becomes weak because it's unloaded. Now enter the human disc in your back, into your mm-hmm. Achilles, mm-hmm. into your patellar tendon. What you're seeing is that you're not loading it enough and decongesting it enough and putting mm-hmm. enough enough strain. Human beings are anti-fragile systems, which means that when you disturb it, it gets better. It rebounds. Right. That's the, fu- yeah. the the fundamental. So now it's meant to be used. <laughs> yes, and hard. Now yeah. you can start to say, "Hey, why should I move more?" Because that's what human beings require in order for the human being to operate correctly. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the greatest um, problem with modern health is comfort. You know, really, everything's become easy. And so how do you, how do you, like, what is your, when you create a movement rich environment, what are the, the simplest and most fun and effective ways to ensure that you're going to be moving? Or let's say you're working with a client who, who this is kind of new to besides, yeah. you know, s- silly things like just sit on the edge of your chair. I mean, that's, to me, that's not quite, you know, in the spirit of what we're talking about. No. Well, I, you know, one of the things that, so I, I'm not a tracker of my physiology. I just don't like yeah, to track I'm my not sleep. Either. I'm not a quantified guy. I yet. just don't quantify it. But I, I'm aware yeah. and I have quantified it. And I know – and I'm also if – you, if, you, if I do some very hardcore heart rate variability training, the omega wave using the, the DC – like I will say I feel like I'm at 70% and it will give me a 70% mm-hmm. score. Right? I've, I've gotten mm-hmm. pretty good at saying, hmm, I'm pretty good today. I'm not pretty good today. Right. But one of the first things we do is we try to help people just be aware of their own process. So even a crappiest activity tracker will help you to re- recognize and remind you initially that, you know, to be aware of your, of your process. And mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes, you know, the way our brains work is that we kid ourselves. And we see this even with our elite athletes. We at uh, an Olympic training camp, a holding camp before the Olympics – and we ask the, the, our elite athletes, are they getting the eight hours of sleep that we all agree is their minimum? They should be getting 10 hours of sleep because they're training once or twice right. a day. And not a single one of them was getting seven hours of sleep. So, hmm. you know, when we start wow. actually winnowing down 
and, and saying, well, let's, well, how do I know? Well, let's track it. So can you, can you hit that? And, and that doesn't have to be continuous. You don't have to go walk you know, four miles. You can just move around a little bit more. So the number one thing is just walk more. Well, I, I would say more. walk any way you can. If you're, if you're shy, go for a walk before dinner. You know, walk and take the stairs. Look at yourself as I have optional sitting versus non-optional sitting. And mm-hmm. if I mm-hmm. just get rid of the junk sitting and have a choice, I'll choose to move more. And let me say that we have good friends at Veradesk. We, my wife and I have a nonprofit called Stand Up Kids. We've moved mm, kids nice. out of sedentary desks, traditional desks, learning environments, into standing, moving environments. And we have about 90,000 kids in the United States that we've transferred in, tier, in, in Title I schools, which are really poor schools that are underperforming. We see a miraculous change when kids move more. They engage better. Their attention's better. Um, they learn better. They recall better. They test yeah. better. They get skinnier. I mean, wh- I mean, what is it that's important to you? It'll change if you what? Have the organism move more, right? And these kids aren't standing like soldiers. They have an opportunity to fidget. They put their foot up. They lean. They're being supported. And they can work on the ground. And so one of the things that you know, I love is that a Veridesk, that company that makes great sit-to-stand movable height desks, has a product. And the Veridesk has, I think it's called the Veridesk 360, something like that. And uh, it's a small lap tray that's adjustable. But it, for me, it pops up right on the floor. And I've suddenly got this desk platform that I can sit cross-legged and I can move high. And it gives me an opportunity and a setup to just incorporate different positions. So not only is walking important, but you can see that if you did a little sun salutation, you did, j- jumped into yoga, you did some dancing, whatever it is you want to do, went to CrossFit, just warmed up your hips like you know your high school coach did in football, what you'd see is that, mm-hmm. hey, did I at least do the things that my body was supposed to do today? And, and one mm-hmm. of the ways to do that and, and is, to, is to change your sort of resting positions. And I'm not the mm-hmm. only one to realize and to recognize that, hey, we were actually floor-based creatures. And mm-hmm. we, there are some people, this guy named Philip Beach has written a wonderful book called Muscles and Meridians, really trying to reconcile embryology with, with Eastern medicine. So if that sounds esoteric, mm-hmm. welcome to my, uh, my nerd mm-hmm. self. But yeah. he has a, a hypothesis that we tune, our bodies get tuned by sitting in these postures of repose on the ground, either by lying or by sitting or by being cross-legged or kneeling. It's one of the ways that the Mm -hmm. body restores its normal positions and normal mechanics. Yeah, that's interesting. And that that kind of rings true to me. I I love Shavasana. It's the most powerful yoga pose. And and I love... sitting on the floor, you know, like you do to, to do whatever, whether it's meditating or reading just feels kind of fun once your hips starting open. And then I love walking barefoot, you know, now they, they have a term for that. It's what grounding or something like that, but just, <laughs> right. you know, AKA just natural, right? Being a human AKA being walking barefoot. Like right, being a exactly. baby. Right. <laughs> right. And it's amazing. Awesome. You, know, you, you bring something up. So one of the ways that you can change your environment is to interact differently with your environment. And, and right. man, I'll tell you, if I have cookies in the house, I'll guarantee you I'll eat all the cookies, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. what they're there for. That's my mission. No one is sleeping in this house, so I eat all the cookies. And so <laughs> I don't buy cookies because if they're in the house, I'll eat them. So I use the same mm-hmm. thinking around my environment. And, you right. know, how can I – I have thumbs. I'm a clever, clever ape. But one of the things that is shocking is that when you go barefoot for a little bit, your stride changes, 
your foot mechanics mm-hmm. change, you pre-stiffen, you don't strike the ground as hard, you start to be very aware your back will start hurting. There's a whole mm-hmm. lot of idea that, and, uh, and really clever people are noticing that, you know, if you, and this goes back even to tying back into what I said about our, our friend who's uh, embryology, the, there's in the embryologic development of the human, there's a, there's a form called the Wolfian ridge that develops. And out of there, you get the mouth, you get the hands, you get the lips and, and nipples, genitals, and feet. And one <laughs> of the things that happens is these are high sensory motor rich areas. And it's interesting that we basically put ourselves in, in these foot coffins that are sensory deprivation chambers for our feet. Right. And we stop feeling <laughs> And what you'll right. see is it's not an accident that you start to deprive the body of, of input from a spinal, from a foot right. level, and you start to get more incidence of back pain. And so just right. one of the ways that we try to help people have just input into the body is by giving the body more input. And one of the ways you can do that is just by being barefoot on any surface. Yeah. On Chinese medicine, you know, every organ is connected to the foot. So you massage the foot, you're massaging the lung or, or the kidney or something like that. It's extraordinary. And, you know, let's talk about um, myofascial and, you know, foam rolling. And now you're a big, you're a big proponent of, of that type of work and using lacrosse balls on the feet and on, you know, pressure points and, and you know, complex uh, joints. What's the benefit of that? Help us understand. There's a couple of things I think that we can wrap our heads around is one is that we, when we mobilize, so our language of when we talk about position, what we're really saying is, do you have the movement language? Do you have the movement software, the training to do a certain thing? And that's why we teach technique in everything that we do from shooting, to shooting basketballs, to running, to kicking a soccer. There's technique everywhere because human beings figured out that if you train people, they do motor skills better, right? That's why we pick up and practice, right? Right. You know, kids will, what, take 10,000, they'll fall 10,000 times. I mean, the 10,000 rules, the number of, of steps, the number of <laughs> sit-downs, the number of, right. right? Like, we see how much learning it takes. And, and you know, better than anyone else, the key to adult learning is called repetition. That's straight up. Right. So... One of the things that we, we see is, okay, we've got this motor language, movement language. And the other side of that is, I'm like, okay, do you just have the raw mechanics to be able to express that movement language? And I'm not talking right. about so that you can wash your hair. And I'm not talking about so that you can just exist in a little tiny bubble of your, I sit at the chair, I sit at the computer, I drive my car, I sit at the chair. It's, you know, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, do you have access to your full biologic native range of motion? So when we look at which gives you the full experience of life, well, or, or good life. gives you the opportunity for that, right? And our hypothesis right, is that right. when you restore, when you improve capacity and you improve range of motion, you restore range of motion and capacity, and you you also get the benefits of being inoculated. You have a more stable person, right. and we're never right. ever saying you don't need to train. I just try to remain agnostic about how you want to do that. That can look like a lot of different things, right? But. Right. One of the things that we use is we use all of these soft tissue techniques of these. Is it, is it, do we think it's a joint capsule problem? Do we think it's just the fact that your fascia isn't sliding around very well? Is it that your neuromuscular system has made your muscles stiff in your brain by shortening? And are your muscles stiff and fibrotic from, from being loaded or, or not moved? So you have mm-hmm. those things. And what are the ways that we would restore them? Well, we, you know, mm-hmm. and what we see is that 
all of these techniques are what we call position transfer exercises. So we're always trying to move to restore position, to restore shape. Then the other side is, well, we have technique training and that's called practice. That's called yoga, mm -hmm. Pilates, CrossFit, Olympic lifting, fighting, whatever you want. So mm -hmm. at some point, mm -hmm. you're going to have to do skill transfer exercises or movement transfer exercises, right? And then, or you're going to have to have access. Well, it turns out that myofascial release is not really a great phrase. It's some phrase that we just inherited from, again, maybe first generation thinkers who are looking for the right language. Interesting. I right. think the right okay. language is myofascial mobilization. Um, mm -hmm. new research just came out of Harvard looking at rat studies and, ra and using just mechanical input, um, like a percussive mechanical input changed and facilitated healing just by pulsating and getting vibration into the tissues. We saw changes huh. in a fundamentally in the way these animals healed just without, without application, without loading, things just got better. And so one of the things that we know is that one is that what can we measure? We can measure your range of motion. We can change the efficiency of that economy of that range of motion. And I can do it myself. And I don't need mm -hmm. input from someone else. I don't need, you know, and is this only neurologic? It's largely neurologic. But what we know is that we can have, again, these multiple bottom lines. So we like to do all our soft tissue work before we go to bed. And one of the reasons we do that mm -hmm. is that we know that that's a good time in the day where you're actually going to get the work done. You can do it. There's nothing going on. And man, if you've ever had a massage, you wake up pretty sleepy. You get up off the table, mm -hmm. which means that mm -hmm. we've now got a tool to improve your positioning, improve your range of motion, and help you to sleep Put better. You to sleep. Right. And yeah, so, that's cool. and what we love is, man, you can do that anywhere, anytime, any place. And there are lots and varied ways to, to mobilize and stimulate the body. And some of it may be just putting some proprioceptive, just some positional awareness in input into how the body works. Hey, that's as simple as it is, but we know it's, it's foundational works on a lot of, a lot of levels. So, you know, mm -hmm. is it, am I mobilizing scar tissue? Probably that's not the best way to think about it. Right. But what we're thinking mm -hmm. about is, Hey, do I have a practice? How about this to make myself feel better? My wife just came mm -hmm. home from the grocery store and she bought me a bag of cookies because she's my wife. And, awesome. uh, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to destroy it. So you can destroy it. It's so going to be a good evening. <laughs> one of, one of the things that we feel as you, we were talking about earlier, we feel strongly about is giving people the tools to make themselves feel better. So one of the things I heard this inane argument about myofascial mobilization. They said, someone said it's temporary. And I said, you mean like Tylenol or like opiates or like dry needling or massage? Like what, what do you mean it's temporary? If someone gets out of pain and falls asleep, isn't that the goal? I said, Ambien is temporary, right? Caffeine is temporary. Like, what are you talking about? And so what we're always seeing is, hey, man, if I have a person who, for whatever reason, is not feeling great or has a pain-related symptom or something's going on, the power for that person to be able to make themselves feel better, to self-soothe, to not have to reach for an aspirin, to not reach for a Vicodin, that's powerful. And now we can really mm -hmm. talk about a healthcare reformation. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, when, when it becomes a daily practice, just like movement of the spine, you know, through yoga, through the twisting and bending and whatnot, you know, done once or twice or episodically, it's healthy. It's going to make you feel better, you know, slap yourself in the back, but done as a daily practice, it will lead to all sorts of yeah. psychosomatic, physiological and emotional benefits, right? And not to mention long life. 
And same thing, I think, with myofascia, right? Because you're, you're, it's just going to change kind of the ability of your body to be comfortable within, within the meat sack, right? And to be able to move and for the energy to flow. And, and I think, you know, the, the story is still to be written about fascia. About well, and we're, that. I mean, just re- healthy, we, you know? within two years ago, someone, the, met, the Western medicine community officially recognized fascia as an organ. They're like, we've discovered this new right. thing. Interesting. And, and it's called fascia. <laughs> and the rest of us were like, um, the, <clears throat> the model for the human being doesn't actually work without fascia. You can't even explain how humans <laughs> absorb force and transmit energy or support the organs. Like, what are you talking about? Right? You just discovered it. <laughs> it's innervative. It has nerve That's endings. Hilarious. It has sensory information. Right? So all of those things matter. You know, we just learned, for example, some research out of um, Davis around collagen synthesis because you know mm. right now what's very hot bone broth whole animal mm-hmm. eating the skin right you supplementing with collagen coming back to the ways we used to eat as human beings which we always made broths we made stew we made soup with what we right. had we ate all the bones we ate all the connective tissue right remember rabbit starvation you eat rabbits you die because you don't have enough fat that's why you had to crack the bones eat the brain eat the organs because just meat is not enough and right. as we have modernized ourselves into thinking that health is white rice, sashimi, chicken breast, broccoli, that's about the, that's a mm-hmm. poor, poor diet. That is a terrible, mm-hmm. at least it's whole food nutrition. Great. Let's call that a power bar of modern foods, right? But that is, <laughs> that, that is very, very the tip of the iceberg of the way we should eat and how we should be thinking about this. And this right. research out of Davis looking at collagen synthesis recently discovered that there was a set of genes that were turned on in the in the cell after loading and the first thing your body does after exercise is to turn on collagen synthesis to make a more robust framework for a bigger engine so it makes the chassis reinforced it starts to put down collagen now the chassis is strong then when your body gets around to building muscle if it's available it can handle the new forces and so mm. i think what you're seeing once again is this complexity of the interface of, well, how are we eating? Is that supporting my tissues, right? You know, there's a, you, you can absolutely be a vegan, but it is going to be hard work. And at some point you're probably going to need some mm-hmm. collagen from somewhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, and what we're, what we're, we're promoting is, Hey, what is it that human beings have always done? What's the through narrative in our cultures? And what you'll start to see is, We've always cooked our, our meat on the bone. We've always eaten offal. We used to eat 60 kinds of vegetables a year, you know, and now we mm-hmm. probably, if you're a ninja, eat 20 and the average American eats four. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have some, you know, we're not sleeping. We don't move enough. We, the variety of our movement isn't, isn't rich enough. And what you <laughs> see is a real suppressed human being that's thriving in spite of itself. And when you begin to turn those screws and open up those stop valves, what you see is people thrive. They feel better. They, they right. look better. They have better quality interactions. And you and I know that, you know, you're going to, your, your, your joints are designed to be a hundred years old. You're going to outlive your gonads, but not your joints. So welcome to the party and I'll see you at a hundred. <laughs> okay. On that note. <laughs> I, I plan to outlive my gonads. Maybe I'll have a, a, a cybernetic replacement or something. <laughs> I hope not. Not for you. <laughs> we won't be able to keep up, man. My only way to I'm, – I'm strategizing. I'm going to challenge you to a duel when you're like 90. And I, even then, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. 
<laughs> That's awesome. I'll take you up on that. But what are we going to duel with? We can't use a regular weapon. It's got to be something fun. I don't know. We'll think about it. Awesome stuff, Kelly. Thanks so much. Thanks for your work. Um, I can't wait for just to watch uh, everything that you're working on. And also, um, yeah, I want to get together sometime. So I'll, I'll look you up when I come up to San Fran. Please do the same when you come down here to San Fran. Oh, absolutely. Or, We'd love to have you. You know, you know, one of the practices that's changed our lives is that we have a barrel sauna, thanks to Laird Hamilton. Oh, I love barrel saunas. And awesome. we so you are, got one, huh? Yeah, we are in the, we, we've had one now for about three years and we, uh, we're in the sauna, you know, five or six times a week, and it is—it's dark. We have to interact. We have oh, to suffer, killer. and and it just gives us a, it gives. We actually call it church, and it gives us all permission nice. to be together and have zero distractions and focus on not. Passing so you're going with the whole family, huh? We do, and all our friends. Oh, that's awesome! Terrific. So come on up and jump well, in fun, the huh? uh, jump in the sauna with us. And well, do you have a cold pool nearby, well, or you know, you know, you know it, to- you know it. I thought so. <laughs> and, oh, and a pool that's 12 feet deep. So we've got all your flashback from pool training can happen again. Dude, I'm coming. That sounds awesome. All right, Kelly. Again, thanks very much. Now, um, I almost forgot, but mobilitywad.com, I have a little note here that sounds like you're, you're revamping the whole thing and you're going to relaunch it pretty soon. Well, Can you give us a sneak yeah, preview of what's Just happening? like you where you – you have a chance to refine. We never believe that we have arrived. In fact, what we realize yeah. is that our early machinations at, at trying to explain our thinking and is just we're just clumsy and and amateurish, <laughs> right. right? And that, but the right. fortunate is that you get a chance to do it again and again. And Juliet has taken on the task because right now our site is incredible resource, but, and we have daily programming. Yeah. So if you want to see what we're talking right. about, you can just. With, if you have a ball and a roller at home, you can get started. We, we do daily pro- mm-hmm. follow-along programming. But you know, it's a little bit like the Library of Alexandria right now. You walk in and you're like, <laughs> where's that scroll I was looking where for? Where do I start? That's right. Yeah. It's, it, you know, we're like, hey, you should swim. And here's the ocean. Holy crap. So um, what we realize is that a new user experience, um, how we're disseminating information, the recipes, it will just be a lot more intuitive so that we can take the step to try to get this information because we have the benefit of it in a more digestible way where people can share it more and begin to really take their own health alone, at least around musculoskeletal care back to themselves. Nice. Awesome. So mobilitywad.com. W-O-D. Um, W-O-D. Awesome. Kelly, thanks again. And um, yeah, keep, keep it up. You're doing great work and I really appreciate you, brother. Always a good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Who ya? All right, folks. Kelly Starrett, fascinating guy, He's doing some amazing work in the in the realm of health and mobility and movement. And um, check out his book, Sup- "Becoming a Supple Leopard." It is fantastic. And also his resource, uh, Mobility Wad. That's M O B I L I T Y W O D dot com. MobilityWad dot com. And um, give him a shout out on social. And when this comes out, I'm sure he'll. Shout it out on social too, right, Kelly? Yeah. Yeah, Thanks you bet. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's that. It's been a long show. It's been awesome. I've learned a ton. Uh, Till next time, folks. Uh, thanks for your support. Train hard. Stay focused. Keep moving. And uh, get that ball and foam roller. Start working on that fascia. See you soon. Divine out. Oh, boys.
Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UDT. Oh, oh, oh.